Welcome to the Gautrain Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gautrain and how it came to be South Africa's first ever rapid rail link. And it did that by pushing the boundaries of what was possible. And this very much ties in with some of the insights gleaned from the fourth annual public transport seminar. It was once again jointly hosted by the Gautrain Management Agency and the Gauteng City Region Observatory. And one of the standout discussions featured five interesting panellists from quite diverse backgrounds. That was behavioural designer and consultant Ricky Stock, Public Interest Technology Fellow at New America, Sasha Hasselmeyer, Creative Director and Founder of Inga Atelier, Inga Gubeka, Sculptor, Poet and Academic, Professor Patika Ntuli, and Jazz Musician Nduduzo Makatini. The purpose of this discussion was to delve into what people outside the public transport sector think of this mode of transport, with a particular focus on innovation and problem solving. Stock facilitated and kicked off the discussion. I think that to start off, one of the things that I find important or rather the fundamental of my practice as a, as a human-centered designer and as an inverted commas innovator is that when, when we talk about innovation and when we talk about you know, moving forward and coming up with creative ideas, one of the fundamental premises of that for me is interdisciplinary thinking and interdisciplinary engagement. I think that we we often reach a point where you, you have a bunch of you know urban planners in a room and they and they think together, or you have a bunch of engineers in a room and they think together. And often what happens and where the biggest leaps forward in innovation happen are when people of different specialties and different interests and different you know, thought processes engage and interact and discuss. One of the biggest problems with innovation and thinking through innovation is that we, we think we've come up with the answer and then we stick with it. We say, this is it, we've got it, we're done. And I think one of the biggest, one of the, that's one of the biggest problems that we face because actually when we're thinking, when we think we've solved it, the next innovation or the next problem or the next thing to solve is is about, it, it, it's just our opportunity to start thinking of the next thing. Out of that, Hasselmeyer starts looking closer at problem solving itself. That in truth, that is the really important question. And um, I like to compare it to um, a lot of the government officials I've worked with, for example, they said, we want to buy um, traffic signals. and um, And then we would work through the process and go, well, why do you want to buy traffic signals? And of course, eventually we arrive at the point that we want to have safe street crossings and, um, and that really we're looking for a solution to, to people crossing streets safely. And, and you can take that further and further um, until you question why cars are on the street when they're dangerous to people. And so I think the, the art of finding and framing a problem is in part is to not stop at what you're familiar with the, the the traffic signal the usual solution the usual suspect that you might even be specialized in but also to to know when to stop right at, at some point you know you, you still need to be within the realm of actionable otherwise you always end up with the great injustices of the world and then you kind of go like well how, how does that work on on my street crossing um so i think the 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 truth here is that um, this is really a matter of common sense more than anything else. 
Um, if you have data or evidence and you can use it, that is amazing. Uh, most importantly, if you have people who actually cross that street or who live on that street, you can talk to and you can engage them in that conversation. That's incredibly important. And, and I think this, this listening um, that, that we're doing all too often where we're going to people pretending to listen, but in fact, we're informing them about a choice. You can, you can do this or that. And so I think um, at the heart of this, it's, it's a matter of how good we are at listening, of, of following the story that we're being told and that we're unfolding, and then kind of relating that um, to a problem as we're framing it and, and kind of really finding that sweet spot where the problem is solvable, is actionable, where it is meaningful to the people we're engaging with. That was the cue for Makatini to take problem solving into the mobility space and bring the discussion back towards public transport. One proverb in my Zulu language that says, So basically it says, we know by walking, know by experience, but also mobility as, as a way of knowing. But there's a sense in which uh, when you speak about listening, it's closely related to the, 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 the kind of epistemological, ontological windows that we use here in, in order to, to, to understand uh, um, mobility. So there's a sense in which, uh, in, in a traditional sense, we say that when, when you're walking, you are also citing stories from beneath your feet. So the, this idea of listening with your feet, so this idea of walking, listening, and, and, and being in an experience. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful way of trying to, to, to think about mobility as, as a way of knowing. I mean, a typical example is how often we think about uh, transport as, as moving from point A to point B, and we seldomly think about like the in-between, you know? So there's a sense in which uh, the, 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 the orientation of, of, of walking or, or mobility is about reaching a particular place, but less to do with all of these things that happen in between. So for instance, I'm in a train now and there's a lot of thoughts that are, are kind of flowing through my, 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 my uh, consciousness that would inform how I get to point B, but we don't really, that's not the orientation. Back to Hasselmeyer, who touches on the end user as an important player in public transport planning. When you're dealing with public space or, or public experiences, you know, who are you serving and, and how do you balance, how do you take people along on this journey to maybe a vision that is no less exciting for having people involved in it? And I think there is this, this kind of misconception, certainly in my discipline, um, in the past where it was, well, when the public participates, they water down the beauty of the design. And I think um, we've firmly shown that that is no longer the case and, and that the, the users, the people are experts at their own lives. And, and given the chance, they're just as creative as, as all of us. Cue the professor and some interesting thoughts on what he believes the public transport experience should look like. And it was, I sat in the Greater London Arts, uh, you know, group uh, advising on issues of uh, culture and uh, also issues of uh, uh, the arts generally. So we decided that when you travel in an underground train, what 
wouldn't it be beautiful to see poems, uh, you know, written uh, uh, in, up on a train? So that even if at some stage you do not want to get into a train, some image had stayed in you and it is bothering you, you have to go back into uh, that train and create actually more business. And also the issue of having, uh, uh, you know, visuals, uh, you, know, as you, uh, you know, as you travel, you know, in it. And also to identify where is this uh, train or bus, uh, you know, going to, what sites is it going to be, uh, you know, to be passing. It is all of those things that we were, you know, you know, kind of wrestling, you know, with. Because you imagine when you yourself are sitting there, bored, stiff, and you do not know, you don't even have a book, you know, with you, and you're looking around. You might even look at somebody in a way in which that could be conceived as threatening or enticing. So it's better to see something, you know, there to draw your attention and also to help you uh, to be creative and innovative in your own feelings. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on what uh, uh, you put there. If, say, for instance, we are traveling, even if they could be bombarding you with adverts, but if somewhere around you've got pictures of uh, you know paintings or photographs, things that actually engage you, that can actually take you away from, <laughs> you know, from the pollu- from pollution. There's some times when you're sitting up in a train, and as you are sitting in there, uh, things are kind of irritating, and you do not know what to, to, uh, to do and what to do. You just, uh, you know, keep you know, looking around. I think to escape it is to draw the attention of, uh, uh, you know, the passengers, give them, uh, you know, options of things that they can engage uh, you know their minds. Uh, uh, you know, in it could be a, a photographic thing of uh, uh, the Amazon. It could be a, or, or, or some David statue or whatever things that would actually you know grab the people and lower down the visual uh, pollution and insult on our sense. Hasselmeyer once again picks up the discussion, but this time looks at the issue of design as it relates to public transport using a rather interesting example. So when you were, um, Ricky, when you were talking about um, designing experiences, I was reminded of when, um, when I lived in London and they introduced the Heathrow Express. And the Heathrow Express was actually designed and largely conceived by an advertising agency. And so the whole thing was created as like a single branded seamless experience that very much gets you from A to B in, in the most seamless way. And, and, you know, it's funny that that is the image that first comes to mind when you talk about designed experience, whereas when I, when I wrote in the chat about taking the subway in New York City or, or the underground in London, it is a human experience of just immense humanity and experience. And so I think one of the challenges is, is that when we're designing for the average human being, for the consumer, for the average train rider, where where there is no no average person. And I think one of the challenges that I think in particular artists and and creatives are capable of is to transcend that rather than kind of create this perfect human-centered design result to actually free themselves at the right moment from designing for the average and creating something that that is provocative enough and, and that has that kind of level of engagement and joy that you lose when you're designing for the average. 
Returning now to Makatini, who raises an interesting point regarding historical significance and what public transport and trains in particular might represent to a certain section of the South African population. For instance, earlier on, I was talking about like, you know, the, the modes of transports that are, that are, you know, were there even uh, preceding maybe the coming of the train. But what I'm trying to get at is that like the design should be informed by a broader way of being, you know, like uh, what are people thinking? How do people perceive the word? the world. I think those questions are kind of important. For instance, if you think about chains in South Africa, you know, the, the kind of early history, uh, they, they, there's a sense in which they uh, also present some kind of phobia. Uh, if you think about the early kind of uh, uh, migrant working, people people were going, to, um, were going to Johannesburg to work. So there was a sense in which the chain at a symbolic level represent, you know, either a loss of someone or someone departing or, you know, a, or a message that would be unpleasant at times. So there's a sense in which uh, the, the design plays into that. And I think the, the, the image of a chain for, for some of the older people still carries those overtones of um, migrant, migrant work, workers in Joburg and, and, and how that creates a dysfunctionality within uh, uh, black families, most in particular. So there is a sense in which the healing and the thinking of the design should speak to those kind of problems. Uh, so, so that's why I think there's really a place for indigenous knowledge systems to kind of like play and intent into how we theorize. I think there's a sense in which we, we always think of modernity as just bringing things to people and not think about what people had already that has resonances that could help us to to imagine a sense of relevance so so i think i think design for me at this particular point is is thinking about relevance it's thinking about the world so it's not ignoring bigger questions of uh, cosmology ontology epistemology so i think i think those are really key issues that we never really think about but i I just want to propose that part of what we're thinking collectively is, is, is designed as an invitation to dance, as Ramosa would put it. So this invitation informs a way of being, you know. So, so a design is an invitation so to allow people to, to join. So an invitation to dance. And in African ways of thinking that you can't decline an invitation to dance. So a design for me is something that should be are kind of inviting. Coming out of this, Gubeka returns to the subject of collaboration, specifically in a design sense. I think that uh, the big thing right now at the moment is collective effort and collaboration. I think if we can collaborate more as uh, creatives, we can achieve more and that can, um, that can um, fast tracks you know, innovation, because we're working together as a collective. The, the other one brings certain expertise. The other one brings uh, certain ideas. The other one executes these ideas. I think if we can collaborate more, we, we can achieve more and that can fast track, you know, uh, innovation processes. That's what I think. Hassel Mayer brings the subject back to public transport and is quite blunt about where it sits in the value chain and how it should be protected. Public transportation is the right thing 
to do and is the right way to go for our planet, for our society, for our community. But it's actually challenged by a lot of the innovation we're talking about, by all the ride sharing and electric scooters and bikes and cars and electric cars and what have you, all these unhealthy alternatives. It's a little bit like being the good traditional family meal and being challenged by all the fast food available and becoming more available around you. And so, and, and I've been kind of trying to grapple with that, right? Where I kind of have the same kind of sort of physical reaction to all these innovations that are actually distracting us from doing what is right in this case. Um, I, would, I would maybe um, provide two, two pieces of uh, advice that I, that I wish um, I had been giving myself <laughs> more. And, and the, the first one is um, to be really... Um, to be really critical when someone says to you, there is no other way. And, and that can come from a voice from inside of you that can come from the outside, come from the institution. There is always another way. And I think so many poor outcomes um, have been accomplished because people thought there was no other way. And, and I think, so always, so whenever you find yourself in a place that there doesn't seem to be another way, that's when you have to really put the creative work into it. You should always have options. Um, I think the, the, the second piece of advice is, um, is you know, to, to not be tempted by trying to go directly to where you think you need to be. So, so taking the, looking for the quick fix, the shortcut, the kind of direct path, but actually most, um, most creative and, and kind of really more open innovation processes actually are a little bit like getting lost in the forest and, and allowing that to happen. And that can happen because you go out and you listen and you listen really openly, not just looking for a particular answer. Um, it can be that you're waiting for the, the resonance to emerge between you and your collaborators that you're kind of beginning to find the vibe, how, however that happens. But I think this idea that innovation can be managed as an efficient process is oftentimes misunderstood as um, that the, the quick way is the fast way. Whereas what I've learned over and over again is when you take the slow way, um, the kind of what feels like the detour in a way, you're probably arriving much faster at the real destination. And Stock wraps up the discussion with a return to innovation, the central theme to this public transport conversation. The biggest lesson I guess I've learned in terms of innovation is is, is is essentially humility to be to be willing to be told you're wrong i guess to be able to say like i think i've come up with an idea and to have people say that's not going to work for whatever reason so to have the humility to be able to be told i'm wrong and to be able to accept that and act on that and improve on that but also the confidence to be able to say you, uh, you I, I hear what you're saying but i but I still think I'm right because of X, Y, and Z and to stick with the courage of your conviction. Um, and I think that that's a delicate balance, but I think it's an important one and it's an important tightrope to walk those two, those two sides of it, to, to both be humble, also to have the courage of your convictions. To listen to this and other interviews about the Gau Train, please tune into our podcasts at Gau Train Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website, www.gautrain.co.za or follow us on Twitter.